This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Go right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and we've got spring practice to talk about the Steve Sarkeesian era. I don't want to say if, if it gets started in earnest this week, but it's Steve Sarkeesian's first spring on the 40 Acres getting underway this week, and we will cover those bases at the beginning of the week to get you primed and ready to go. Leading up, gentlemen, the spring game. Mark your calendars. April 24th on a Saturday. So we're slowly turning the corner back in to normalcy. Uh, let's not waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team that's going to be alongside me for this latest adventure of Longhorn Blitz. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our man behind the glass. He is our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I am wonderful, Matt. Uh, thank you for holding down the fort last week. Oh, you're more than welcome, and man. How was La Playa? Went down to Galveston for a few days. Actually, I was surprised. The weather forecast initially didn't look good. Uh, got two really good days nice. of, of sun and some warmth. Uh, by Wednesday when we rolled out, the rain had started and cooled down quite a bit. So Perfect uh, timing. Yeah, got in some good weather while we were down there. Uh, the third member of our team, he knows all about good beach weather or good skiing weather because – Renaissance man like that, uh, multicultural is uh, cultured is what uh, I like to uh, to refer to the third member of our team as he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B., how are you this week? Oh, man, I missed that intro, brother. It's always good to get it, and I'm glad you got some uh, time to get away for a little while, a little vacation. What, when's the last time you and the family got away like that? It's been over a year, right? Uh, it COVID? Well, last summer we, you know, Galveston's kind of becoming the place for us. I don't know why, okay. but uh, yeah. we went. We went last summer. You know, we we did the thing where we tried to go down last spring break, and that was like the week that the world <laughs> stopped, and there was literally nobody down there. 
And the <laughs> wife and I, we were down there. We spent a night in a hotel, got up the next morning, and we're like, look, you know, we, we gave it the old college try, but let's just let's just ch- let's just Try take our home. L and just go home. Uh, and then, uh, but yeah, we went back last summer and you know do the whole Moody Gardens thing. And my daughter, do- my three year old guys, I'll tell you what, they're first off, there is nothing that will brighten your day like seeing the joy a three year old takes in the most simplest of things in life. But like her <laughs> her favorite place on planet Earth is the beach. Like you know, Crabs. some kids some kids are afraid of the water. Yeah, like she yeah. she just sprints toward it. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> slow down. That's you awesome. Get, you got to have an adult with you. So, oh, uh, that's that, awesome, man, because that I got a natural fear of it, too. I'm not a – I like the – I love the ocean and I love the beach, but I don't want to swim in the ocean. Does that make sense? Like, I'm a – you know what I mean? I, I don't like swimming in the ocean, but I do love the beach. My wife is it's the weird. exact same way, Rod. I, I, <laughs> her and I had this conversation, like, on our way home. I'm like, so you – you know, I've got one dog, right? I've got one dog. She's a my labs are old, man, and uh, yeah. So, Rod, I think you've seen my dogs. Yeah, and man. My, my black too. lab, she's you know they're both old, but my black lab, she she loves the concept of going for a walk. Uh, the excitement of you know, <laughs> dog dogs get excited when you take them for a walk, but oh, then yeah. after about a block. She's just done and ready to go home. I told my wife, I was like, I was like, you're, you're kind of like, you know, Daisy going for a walk when you go to the beach. I think my wife likes the concept of the beach, uh, but once you get the sand and the salt water, it's sad. She's like, eh, I could do with all that, without all. That. I like it. Yeah, that's damn good. I agree with that, man. I'm, I'm the same way. Well, gentlemen, one thing that uh, the three of us are excited about: spring football. I can't believe we're here, but we're here. Mm. Uh, the Steve Sarkeesian era. Sorta, kinda gets underway this week with spring practice. We've spent these podcasts leading up to the start of spring ball talking about the defense, and we've covered every position group on defense. We have the secondary. We covered the defensive front. We were going to kind of split up the offense last week, uh, but let's just go ahead and do the whole offense this week. We'll we'll save the position everybody wants to hear about for last. So. If you want to hear about quarterback, just fast forward to the last 15 minutes or so of this podcast if you're a podcast subscriber. And you should be, by the way. Anywhere you find your podcast, search Horns 24-7 Podcasts. Click the subscribe button. You get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And uh, if you'd be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that's kind of how we're able to keep this thing going. Nevertheless, uh, let's just do the whole offense this week. And, Rod, I, I want to start at the tight end position. And I said this on my show, Light the Tower, which you can hear on the horn uh, weekdays, 10 to noon. And I've been doing some spring ball primers, and the tight end is the one position that other than what we know about Cade Brewer, which is that Cade Brewer at this point in his career, he's he's just a, a, a good, solid hand. You kind of know what you're going to get from him. Uh, you know, Doesn't probably have an elite tool in the toolbox, but does a lot of things pretty well. I think we all like Jared Wiley's ceiling based on what we saw last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. But other than that, Rod, that's a position with a lot of bodies and a lot of guys. I have no idea what to expect. Like two guys that we've heard or have done really well, we've heard this at Horns 24-7, have done really well in off-season workouts, are Gunnar Helm and Juan Davis, who were recruited as tight ends. So, guys, that's a position room with like six, seven scholarship bodies and outside of the two, I have no idea what to expect from any of those guys this spring. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm expecting, you know, Jared Wiley to take his game to another level. I mean, I, I do think that he flashed a lot last year. And that's not even with uh, Tom Herman 
been able to really maximize or weaponize him, really. Uh, I just thought he's got nat- a natural raw skill set that you can really utilize. I'm with you on K Brewer. I think he's really dependable. Um, and yeah. that's also a you know important piece that when you want to, you know, when you want some variety within your personnel packages and, you know, maybe we'll see some 12 personnel, some one back, two tight ends with Sark. Sark's going to be a lot more creative and I think he's going to be a lot more diverse in the way he uses personnel packages than Tom Herman was. So, uh, yeah, I think you can possibly see those two guys as your, you know, those two guys, I think, honestly, to me, have the highest ceiling at the tight end position, but we don't know what to expect from younger guys. The question is how much is Sark going to focus on tight ends? I know he wants speed on the field. That's his thing. That's what he's always believed in. He wants as much speed on the field as possible. That can put as much pressure on the defense. But it's almost like he's got a little Al Davis in him. Strangely (laughs) enough, maybe that's what Al Davis (laughs) liked about him. Um, That is true. We we forget that about Sark, Rod. That like, I think, was it when, uh, maybe when Lane Kiffin, then he hired Lane yeah, Kiffin. No, he right offered it to time, Sark yeah. first. Yeah. Al Davis really liked Sark. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he wants speed. He talks about that, right? His break to daylight philosophy, and he doesn't like uh, stop routes. He wants movement routes, routes where wide receiver receivers are constantly in motion. Um, you know, and when you if you're looking at the tight end position, that means you'd want someone who can also kind of mimic those qualities at tight end in the passing game. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you're looking at Jared Wiley. I still don't know. Is, is Malcolm Epps still a tight end? Is he yeah. Is, yeah. And he's he a tight end. Yeah. Okay. He's a guy, Rod, like we, we've talked about Malcolm Epps on this podcast and Longhorn fans. He's kind of an enigma for Longhorn fans. And I don't mean to say that in a demeaning way, but you know, was recruited as a tight end, then moved him to receiver, which we talked about this, like in my mind, based on what Tom Herman wanted at that X receiver. It made sense. It just didn't turn out that way at all. He moves back to tight end, and last year, like we know the the issues that the offense had. Like I said, it, I compare the twenty twenty Texas offense to it's like it's like in baseball. It's like it, it's like Alex Rodriguez with the Texas Rangers, right? A <laughs> Rod's run in Arlington. Like, oh, he hit fifty two homers and won an MVP, right? But what did they really do with it? Like it just kind of yeah. it's just empty numbers. Like the numbers no, were there, but it's just there's no there's no meat to it. And that's where Texas's offense just felt like it sort of was. Last yeah, year. and 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 in that and in that just weirdness that was last year, Malcolm Epps was a non-factor pretty much the entire year. And they were trying to play more tight ends too. Yeah, that's the crazy part about it. Right, we're seeing more twelve personnel, and yet Malcolm Epps still got lost in the shuffle. The thing with Malcolm Epps that's for me as a football guy, just evaluating him, and obviously I don't get a chance to watch him at practice, so I'm not sure exactly what he's doing at practice. But in the game, he's one of those guys. Remember we talked about Quandre Diggs and how Quandre Diggs' physical attributes don't match his football character? His football character is like a little linebacker, right? Mm-hmm, he's physical. Right. He wants to hit. He's great at tackling, great at hitting. Um, you know what I mean? He knows how to bring his hips for a guy that's, what, 5'8 or smaller? He's one of the hardest-hitting guys in the NFL because his football character is – physicality that's what he's about that's what he was brought up with right um and malcolm epps strangely enough he's six six or 245 pounds or whatever he is but when you put him out there wide receiver you don't his physicality doesn't translate with his physical attributes right he actually is a little more finesse he wants to be finesse for some reason but he's six six so it doesn't really match and tom herman wasn't able 
to bridge that disconnect with Malcolm Epps. And, and for a guy that focused at wide receiver, that's, you know, that's a that's an indictment on him as a coach, too. Remember, he was supposed to be overly involved at wide receiver. That was probably one of the problems with the wide receiver rotation, too, in the end. So I think there's a lot of potential at tight end. You know how I feel about tight end. Man. I think tight end is the most – tight end is the potato of – of football positions, right? It's the most, they say the potato is the most versatile food on the planet, potentially. You can do so many different damn things with just a potato. You can turn it to fries, you can turn it into mashed potatoes, you can do all types of weird stuff with potatoes, right? And I think with a tight end, you get the right tight end, you can really be uh, creative and innovative with the ways you can use the tight end. You can split them out, you can turn them into an H-back, turn them into uh, like a fullback in the backfield, maybe their traditional tight end with their hand in the dirt, uh, maybe you can split them out if you got like a Kyle Pitts or somebody really freakish. It's a lot of things you can do with them. And at Texas, unfortunately, it's been an endangered species since the you know mid to uh, mid to late 2000s. Right there, it's pretty much been an endangered species. It's flashed, but it's never really been a a pivotal piece of the yeah. Texas offense in a long, long time. Yeah, like Jermichael Finley was the one time when you had something and you're like, oh, we got one of the better ones in the country. And that's why, like, when you see you brought up Epps and he's the type of guy that if you were to go, like, video game mode, create a player, he has the frame you want. But like you mentioned, Rod, he's lacking either one way or the other. On the outside, he's a little too slow, not necessarily with the ball skills. But if you bring him in, he's not as physical. And that's why whenever you look at Texas, we see the perfect examples of the polar opposites in Jared Wiley and a guy like Cade Brewer. Cade Brewer's you're just, you know, like you brought up potatoes. He's literally just like a potato. He's a versatile guy, but he's not going to be above average at anything, and it's sort of bland, and it's not really spiced up. But Jared Wiley's that one that you really want, and when you look at the way Sark used their wide receivers or wide receiver type tight ends over at Alabama, the guy Jaleel Billingsley, when he came in for Miller Forrestall, because Miller Forrestall, that's their Cade Brewer. He's your 6'5", 250 guy. He played, what, I think nine, ten games, barely had 23 receptions for 253 yards, not much, but he's the eat up all your downs guy. But in October, he got hurt. And for a couple weeks there, you had a guy, Jaleel Billingsley, now not nearly as tall as Wiley, but his ball skills, I mean, he looks more like a wide receiver out on the out on the field, similar to the way that Jared Wiley does, and you could see his numbers spike. He was used in many creative ways. He was moved all around the formations. Was almost used as a wide receiver. So at least if you go back and look at Alabama last year, you can sort of see how. Sark used like pieces and was able to accentuate their strengths because Forrestal was a guy that didn't leave the field much and Billingsley would get on the field from a time to time, but it wasn't until he was given the opportunity and you saw Sark have to adapt to his talent. And that's the one thing that we really didn't see much from the Tom Herman era at Texas. You didn't see much of adapting to what we have this week for the common opponent. Instead, you were trying to sort of fit the mold into your specific 11 personnel offense with your very rigid and very distinct roles for each player and that's why I like seeing the way that everything changed for Sark for a month for a month and a half there and then once you got Forrestal back then you had a developed version so then now on film you have two things to occupy the mind not only of the defense but of the game plan and everything along the line so if there is something to look at for the position hope wise I like the way Sark used them at Alabama. 
So if the if the tight end position is the potato, then the offensive line has got to be the meat, right, to this dish that is the Texas offense <laughs> under go. Steve Sarkisian. Oh, yeah. And Rod heard really good things in, in winter conditioning about Jake Majors at center, and, and I think I think that's where it starts because any time that you hear your center coming off of a true freshman season where you know, he started at the end of the year and, and looked really good to the point before we get into like the the mac the the micro of Jake Majors like mm-hmm. the macro to me Rod when we watched him at the end of the year as impressive as it was how good he was it's like well you were struggling to find an offensive line mix and you were reluctant to make changes why the hell didn't you do this earlier? So that way, by game nine, ten, now you've got a guy that's got a full year, and and you're off and running. Yeah, um, it's unfortunate because we we talked about you know Derek Kerstetter here and how I remember us talking in the preseason last year about you know he's very versatile, but where does he fit best? And you know you can use him as an insurance policy in case you know one of your one of your offensive line, your projected starters. Uh, isn't necessarily a starter caliber player. You can use him. And I think that's what they did, right? They just put put him at center because they figured, you know what, we don't have a center. We don't really know what Jake Major is going to be. He's too young to throw out there. Uh, so we'll just leave Derek Kerstetter there. But in in reality, you actually devalue Derek Kerstetter too. Um, he would have been more valuable for you probably at a right tackle. And, and what you should have did was you should have gave Jake Majors four four reps in that UTEP game, four or five reps in the UTEP game, gave him 10 reps in the next game, gave him 12 reps in the next game, 15, 20. And like you said, Jeff, worked your way up to the point where, hell, by the time you get to an Oklahoma or an Iowa State, you know, you can get to the point where Jake Majors can give you half of those quality reps. And then maybe you can have Derek, and maybe you can trust him and evaluate him enough to move Derek Kirster to the right tackle would have fortified your offensive line better. Yeah. Um, but they really weren't able to do that because uh, for some reason they did not have that contingency plan. And to not re- to not work him into the rotation, considering how he looked late in the year with uh, that K-State game and the Colorado game, just shows you that the failures, one of the many failures yeah. on the part of that Tom Herman staff and Herb Hand. Because of there's a couple reasons why I, I like the trajectory of the offensive line heading into spring ball. One, I think Kyle Flood is a better offensive line coach than Herb Hand, number one. Uh, Easy. And, and the teaching, yep. the teaching style. Rod, you guys talked pro day last week, but I, I want to get your take on this, right? So, you know, when we talk about offensive line, offensive line play, we're going to get kind of deep into the weeds a little inside baseball here. So, uh, you know, this is our, our football theory portion of the podcast this week. But, Rod, one of the things that I've heard is, you know, the Herb Hand's reliance on vertical pass sets. Like, there's two different ways you can pass it when you're pass blocking as an offensive lineman. Your vertical set, which is meant to gain depth in the pocket, or you gain or or you try to go and 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 gain width in the pocket and protect that way. Um, and typically a vertical pass set works if you're facing a team that like and some teams would do this if they're playing like wide nine techniques on the outside, like they play their defensive yeah. ends like really, really to the edges. You want that vertical set because it helps you gain depth in the pocket and you can beat the guy to a point quicker. But Herb Hand's reliance on vertical vertical pass sets, Rod, I'd heard this recently. As Sam Cosme's meeting with NFL teams, they are shocked that he did not give up more sacks in his Texas career, considering like the over reliance on vertical pass sets and just how bad technically that offensive line was under Herb Hand. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, but that just shows Sam Cosby's a really good athlete, which we also saw at the pro day. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're de- really, it, it all depends on how you're developing your guys. You know what I mean? If, if Texas was able, and I do wonder because of that, if it made them more vulnerable with the twists and stunts because they were over-reliant on just one concept. But if you teach it well, I mean, it still should be, you know, it still should be something that you can execute consistently. The problem with the offensive line for Texas, they weren't able to execute that consistently. And, you know, I got to go back and look at and find how many times, like like fan blocks you're talking about where they go with uh, to block Mm -hmm. it across the board. Um, Yeah. I mean, off the top of my head, it does seem like most of their, um, most of their blocking scheme was for the lineman to drop straight back. But I, I think for Sam Cosme, I mean, that might have been his strength, too, because he's so damn athletic. Yeah. Um, him, him beating a guy to a point, it's hard to beat a guy as athletic as Sam Cosme to that point. So I do wonder if it was, you know, if it was player skill set specific, any real good coach. And I was saying Herb Hans a good coach, uh, but you would evaluate your the skill sets of your players and then you would determine, all right, you know what? This is going to be the best concept that we got to use because it, it, it highlights their strengths and it mitigates the damage, any damage done by yeah. their weaknesses. Yeah, uh, that's just, I mean, the, the cosmic comment was neither kind of here nor there. It's just more to show that uh, basically the, the gist of it is Kyle Flood is going to teach this offensive line multiple ways to attack Both. things. And, yeah. yeah, and it's going to be yeah. more, my understanding is it's going to be more of a style of play that's going to translate well to the NFL because that's the thing, Rod. Like, the NFL teams are having a hard time. Like, we heard some of this with Connor Williams and the fact that you're less with Connor Williams uh, because Herb Hand wasn't there yet. But in this Tom Herman offense, it, it's a, it's an offense, and in the Urban Meyer pro spread, we've seen this with some Ohio State guys. It's hard for NFL scouts to get a good beat on those guys because – a lot of that stuff doesn't translate to the pass game concepts up front that you're going to deal with in the NFL in terms of your pass block schemes. So it's hard to yeah. it's hard to do kind of vis a vis and figure out how things are going to translate. But that's going to change at Texas under Kyle Flood. And so when when you talk about the offensive line, it starts with Jake Majors up front at center, which that's a good piece. I like Jake Majors. Love what we saw from him at the end of the year, and apparently he's had a really good winter in terms of winter conditioning. Outside of that, Rod, like we know Junior Angulao, whether you want to play him left guard, right guard, whatever, he's going to have one of those starting spots locked down. You figure Derek Kerstetter is going to have a spot somewhere when he comes back. And after that, it's this unique blend of you've got some guys that have been in the program for a while, like the you know the there uh, Denzel Okafors of the world and you know, Christian Jones is a guy going into his fourth year and you've got some guys that have started some games but at the same time Rod I just wonder if we're not about to see a changing of the guard because you've got a lot of good young talent a guy like Tyler Johnson that we saw at the end of the year a guy like Isaiah Hookfin who had he not been hurt probably would have gotten himself into that starting mix at some point through the year when the offensive line struggled a little bit. So I think the offensive line, in terms of those other guard and tackle spots that are open, to me it's a matter of can Christian Jones and Denzel Okafor take their level of play up a notch to where Kyle Flood has no doubt that those two guys are starting caliber guys, or do we see a Jalen Garth, a Tyler Johnson, and Isaiah Hookfin, do we see those guys start to step up and – Kyle Flood get through spring ball and say, you know what, I'm going to need you guys to go through summer conditioning and we're going to have to get into camp before we sort out who our best five are going to be to run out there for that first game against Louisiana. Yeah, it's good. You have to experience, right? You do have the guys coming back with some experience on the offensive line. But as you've pointed out several times, you got a ton of 
you know, blue chip talent that you've been kind of uh, cultivating in the garden uh, for the last couple of years. I know Herb Hand failed miserably in uh, that 2020 class for the offensive line recruiting, but, um, you know, ultimately, or the most recent class, I should say, for the offensive line recruiting. Yeah, but the 21 cycle, yeah. To a 2021 class. But, I mean, you got a ton of blue chip talent there still, and I think that, you know, it could be – I think the offensive line could end up being a point of strength for you next year. I know we've talked about that before, but, <laughs> man, when, I know you lost Sam Cosme, and that's that's going to be big for you. But the way that, that Jake Majors looked early on uh, when he – you know, when we saw a little action that we did see from late, um, I thought he looked really good. I like the fact that he's athletic and he can move around. I think it opens up possibilities of what you can do um, in the run-blocking schemes with a guy that's that athletic. Um, also, I me mean, Junior Angola was, you know, still one of been one of your more consistent guys too. So you got, you know, experienced guy Denzel Okafor is a man. He's a red. What is he a senior? He's coming back as a sixth-year senior. Yeah, <laughs> sixth-year senior. Yeah, I mean, I know he's been here a long time, but I mean, that's what you want on the offensive line. You want guys who have starting experience, and you want guys who've been been around a little bit. The the, the complicated thing is these offensive linemen, unfortunately, have been. You know, in this Herb Hansen, they've had three. This will be their third offensive line coach for some of those guys, some of those really experienced guys. Very so the terminology, the communication, the way that the you teach the concepts, uh, the way that some of the guys grasp the concepts, all that's going to be a challenge for Kyle Flood as a coach because, you know, these guys uh, right now, they, they're used to a certain terminology, used to a certain coaching style, not saying it was successful, so it's glad they got a new one. Yeah. But there's still always a lot of things that are lost in translation or could potentially be lost in translation when you're making that transition. As you're running that down, right, you know what I started thinking about? Your two sixth-year seniors, right, Denzel mm-hmm. Okafor. And Tope Amade is a guy, and, and I know Tope is dealing with the loss of, of his mother and uh, thoughts, thoughts and prayers and condolences uh, to Tope Amade. And his family, with what they're going through, and uh, you know, there's a they've got a, a GoFundMe right now, and a, uh, it's on my Twitter feed at Jeff How Two Four Seven. I know a bunch of players. If you follow like Denzel Okafor's, I, I think probably the, I guess the co-founder of the GoFundMe account. I don't know if that's the right terminology you use, but uh, and it has been NCAA approved. So if you want to help uh, Tope Amade's family out, there, look that esophageal cancer, the same cancer my dad. Uh, my dad died from so the medical bills are piling up so if you want to help them uh denzel okafer on twitter uh, as a matter of fact can i pull up denzel's twitter account uh i'll find it and we'll point that out again before uh we're done today but uh at any rate you know tope amati is a guy that uh you know it kind of fits more of the mold from his just size standpoint. Kind of fits the mold of the guys Kyle Flood just left at Alabama. I'm not saying Tope Amade could have started at Alabama or anything of that nature or that he's as good as those guys. <laughs> but just from a size standpoint, maybe Kyle Flood sees something that he likes this spring in Tope Amade. But when you talk about just the wonkiness, Rod, of the whole deal with this program, like think about Tope Amade and Denzel Okafor, right? <laughs> Recruited by Joe Wickline. Spent, yep. spent one year with Matt Maddox, the one year with Derek Wareheim, then played for Herb Hand, and now Kyle Flood. So in their time at Texas, and Denzel Okafor and Kyle Flood, yeah, Denzel wow. Okafor and Tope Amade's time at Texas, they all had been tied to five different offensive line coaches. They didn't play for Wickline. They were both recruited by Wickline. So that's five different offensive line coaches they've had to get to know. Yeah, man. I mean, that, and all of those coaches 
have certain offensive line types that they like and they prefer at certain positions, certain skill sets they covet, all those different types of things. So, I mean, you know, these guys have, they've been through the ringer, man. They have, it's unfortunate that, I think that's a lot of the reason, or at least a big part of the reason why Texas has underachieved on the offensive line, hadn't been able to really develop talent because you don't have a consistent baseline of just the, the education, the information, the communication, all that. You don't have it. It's, it changes up every year, every other year. So a lot, a lot of guys can get lost in the shuffle, man, and a lot of stuff can get kind of lost in translation. So Kyle Flood coming in, I hope he has, you know, the memory of that. Like you said, I hope they did the research and went, man, these guys are at their fifth offensive line coach since yeah. they've been here. That's crazy potentially um, for some of these guys to have that much turnover to have experienced. But, I mean, that just goes to with the dysfunction that we've seen on the offensive line here since, you know, since the late 2000s, since 2010 pretty much. And you look at just like if you think about like when we started the podcast during the Mac Brown era, we would talk about the six degrees of skis where you could get a six-year senior in Bo Scaife, connect him with the six-year senior in like Jordan Shipley, and they all had one head coach and they overlapped in that 04 season. Now you're talking about a guy going into his sixth year and you're going to have three head coaches across the board with him, which is just shows where Texas's football has been in just the last – Lack of continuity. I'll be honest, guys. I don't have tired head talking about the offensive line because you guys know that's my favorite position group to talk about. Yes, but man, I I'm almost to the point where when we when we talk about trajectory and what can that group be, I'm almost to the point where I'm like, damn, like at some point it has to flip, right? Yeah, it's gonna at be some, better than like at 09. some point. It's it's like you know, I remember. When I was covering minor league baseball and, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Rays were so bad for yeah. so long. And I remember thinking, like, look, at some point if you just keep collecting, like, picks at the top end of the first round, at some point you can't suck. Like, it just – the law of averages says at some point and it finally happened. it's it, going to even out. So at some point, Rod, like, at some point it's got to even out. Too. So at some point it's got to even yeah. out for this Texas offensive line, right? Like, we – like, the, 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 the most mind-blowing – factoid of the downfall oh, of Texas this. football. Since the 2004 recruiting cycle, Texas has signed 41 <laughs> blue-chip offensive linemen. That's four- and five-star guys in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, and no, Connor Williams was not in that group. Neither was Sam Cosby. 41 blue-chip offensive linemen Texas has signed since the 2004 recruiting cycle. Zero. Zero NFL draft picks. None. Wow. And it's I think you, you've got eight of those guys that are still on the. I think and that's the number. We joked last about like if you go, you got to go back to 03 and Tony Hills, but he was a tight end when he yeah. showed up. And I, th- I think I think it's eight. It was the last I checked after Reese Moore's transfer, eight still in the program. But gosh, guys, that's 41, and you haven't produced one draft pick out of any of them. Like. I, it's just I don't know. It's just I'm I'm, I'm the law, stupefied yeah, it, when I think about no, the offensive line. It cannot be replicated. No, it, you cannot go for 41 again doing that anyway. <laughs> well, you need to produce an NFL <laughs> draft pick from the eight you've got, otherwise you will go over 41. Uh, no, no, no. It's interesting because now the offensive line and maybe maybe these obviously the, both of these issues were coexisting, uh, but one superseded the other. You know, the quarterback hell Texas was in, you know, that was, in fans' opinion, that was the main reason that Mm -hmm. the program was deteriorating, right? Because Texas couldn't find a quarterback, and they had these 
you know, they had these guys who options at quarterback, right? Gerard Hurd, your Tyrone Swoops, and your, your Case McCoy, David Ash, but none of them actually materialized into being the guy. The closest we've been to it, thank God for Shane Bouchelle, because he bridged the gap with Sam Ellinger. Now, I think that there is stability at the quarterback position. You're yeah. no longer in quarterback hell. You have now gone through quarterback purgatory. You're in a point now you got one of the most talented quarterback rooms in the country, and you got a quarterback guru there that can kind of help you develop that talent and evaluate it and cultivate it. But now the offensive line, which has coexisted at the same time with this issue, I'm now if one calls the other or one was a big factor in the other, but now your offensive line, I think, becomes – the main concern in Texas underachieving as a program, the stats you gave Jeff, they're astounding. The fact that there's been so much coaching turnover, what's happening. And and now you start looking at the deeper issue, like in the state, because you weren't able to get the nine blue chip offensive linemen that Texas had in the state in the 2021 class. So Kyle flood's got a hell of a, task on his hand. It's a Herculean task as the offensive coordinator and the line coach to turn around what may be one of the biggest mysteries in the history of Texas football. We can't figure out just what the hell is going on with the Texas yeah. offensive line. We've had multiple coaches try to figure it out, and they can't either. No, and if you you pointed to it right there, Rod, but I mean the source. If you don't have an O line, almost always your QB isn't going to have much of a shot unless you're some transcendent talent, the way that you saw Colton O nine or the way like say Russell Wilson that was the been one, running yeah. for his life in the NFL. And you can find it. I mean Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson have those career arcs in the NFL, and you've seen players like that be able to survive. But you have to be that great at the quarterback position and have that minimal functional mobility to be in a dual threat just to be able to be able to survive the situation. Yeah. I just, yep. uh, and, I mean, Sam Ellinger basically probably was that too. And you know what? We, like we talked about it, I know we, we got to move on. And, uh, and and by the way, real quick, um, Denzel Okafor's Twitter, if anybody wants to contribute to, to Tope Amade's, uh, Tope Amade's mom's the GoFundMe account, uh, it's at Denzel Okafor on Twitter. I don't know why that took me so long to figure out. I pulled but it up yeah, and then forgot to it, tell you. It's at Denzel Okafor on Twitter uh, if you want to help out the Amade family. But, uh, you know, but Rob, we talked about this, like, and it's just kind of the 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 sickness, the disease that this football program has, has been engulfed in in the last 10-plus years. Not all those old line coaches were bad coaches, right? No. Nope. Like Stacey Searles has proven he's not a bad offensive line coach. Joe Wickline has a track record to say he's not a bad offensive line coach. Uh, you know, Herb Hand, I don't think I don't think Herb Hand is a bad offensive line coach. I don't think he's great and maybe we overcooked our bacon a little bit and maybe in hindsight I should have listened to some of the Auburn folks. Uh, yeah. the, the, what some of the negative yeah, the way they wanted well, out. Well, yeah, but when they were when, happy when he left. When yeah. a guy when a guy leaves a job, like you don't know, okay, is this is this legit? Is it sour grapes? Like, yeah, you just don't know. And uh, Texas knew where they were at that time. Texas was like, oh well, yeah, you know, maybe the Auburn guys don't want it, but it's been so bad here. We need somebody to fix this. So maybe we didn't view it as well as we should. Well, like he, like yeah, you might have thought he was bad, but trust me, it's been freaking <laughs> abysmal here. So exactly. like bad would be a massive upgrade. At that point, and it was, uh, but no, we just, this offensive line situation. It's I'm I'm just I'm fascinated and just I'm almost mortified that it's been as bad as it's been in the last 15 years. Think about 15 years, guys. That's crazy. 15 years, like we're 
About to be an adult. When that group that Casey Stoddard, Lyle Sunland, Justin Blaylock, Tony Hills, when that group left, man, it's been about 15 years. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully Kyle Flood can get that. Yeah. Guys, let's go. Do you, say, oh, do you have something? Rod, sorry. Quick, I know, I know, we got to move on real quick. But strangely enough, Sam Ellinger actually had one of the better O lines, and to match point, maybe that's why he actually had some success. I mean, he said he's going to have two draft picks on that O line, probably mm-hmm. one in the. Maybe in the first, but at least two second rounders on that O line, and Calvin Anderson who played in the league a little bit. I mean, his O line actually has been one of the better O lines. So I'm just pointing out that it has improved, but we got a long way to go. Yeah, the last three years much improved from his freshman year. It's kind of like, <laughs> is it kind of like the one of my favorite movies? And I'm hesitant, Rod. You and I have had this conversation like movies you liked when you were a kid that may not age well when you get older. Uh, oh yeah, and then I'm scared to watch. Like Major Pain is one of those movies that I'm scared <laughs> Ooh, to go back and watch. Yeah, it's t- oh yeah. <laughs> but like uh, the, the Texas offensive line, it's kind of like that line in Major Pain when he tell what he tells his uh, his kids is like, "You're still a bleep sandwich. You're just not a soggy one." Like it's kinda, <laughs> maybe, maybe we're at, we're at that point. With the Texas like, is that an insult line. or a double insult? <laughs> nice, uh, um, nice way to end it. I want to save time for quarterback and wide receiver, so let's talk about running back. I mean. We all feel good about Steve Sarkeesian using B. John Robinson yep. much better than the previous staff did, right? Like Sark's proven in his career when he's got a bell cow running back, he's just going to give it to him time and time and time again and find different ways to use him. Uh, it Really, right? I mean, for me at this point with the running back position, you know what you got. The goal for those guys in spring practice is just don't get anybody hurt. Just keep everybody healthy. You've got Danny Young yeah. coming back to that group uh, as a depth guy. It, Roshan Johnson's had a chance to get healthy, and he was banged up the entire year last year. You know yeah. what you've got with B. John Robinson. Just, just don't get anybody hurt. Like it should be, it should be a really good spring for for like a guy like Gabe Watson to get some some quality reps, and Danny Young to get his to get his legs back underneath him after taking the year off being out for uh, for covid reasons so it, no yeah. i agree with you 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 know what you have and that's one of the few positions actually yeah. <laughs> where you have what you know what you have actually on offense i don't know if there is any other position where you're like oh no no i got proven commodities there uh rojo has been a successful transition to running back and Everybody just loves his leadership uh, abilities. Like he just seems to be a natural leader. Got a lot of respect in the locker room. I hear from guys. So Rojo, we know that he's. And you said he was. He's dealing with injuries all year last year. Oh, so yeah. that may have actually put a cap on you know his uh, productivity last, last year. But also, I mean, Bijan Robinson is special. I mean, this guy. I, I don't have to give you all the stats. I mean, we've given the stats about him and how great he was. I mean, he he is a Heisman caliber talent. Like mm-hmm. he could be considered to be the best player in the country if he's utilized correctly. Sark's already on record saying he believes the running back position is the most underutilized position in the passing game on mm-hmm. offense. So he's going to use them in a number of ways, not only in the running game, but also as a weapon in the passing game. And I want to see Sark use more two back sets. I want to see a more, more 20 personnel, more 21 personnel. The running back position, if it is a strength, now a proven commodity, well, now it's time to start putting more of those guys on the field. You're re- and by the way, you're recruiting a ton of running backs in the future. Time to show those running backs like, hey, we use multiple backs. All right, we have packages where we'll put both of our tailbacks in the backfield at the same time, on the field at the same time. So you got Jonathan Brooks coming in and you'll have other talent coming in. Uh, that's one of the, the should be one of the selling points. And I think with Rojo 
and also with Bijan, you can get those guys on the field at the same time. There are also yeah. ways to get Jake Smith and Jordan Winnington involved in the backfield. I mean, those guys should be in the backfield as well. They do have that hybridism in their skill set. So I know Sark's got a background with it when he followed up Shanahan with the Atlanta Falcons. Go back and watch the film. I've watched a lot of it, but um, he actually utilized Devontae Freeman, I believe it was, man, maybe it was Tevin, Tevin Coleman. Coleman. Yeah. Uh, but he, he utilized two tailbacks in the backfield. He was trying to emulate a lot of what Shanahan was doing because Shanahan ran more 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end than anybody in the NFL at the time. Still does, but now with the San Francisco 49ers, they, did, they wanted to ease a transition away from that. They just didn't want to cut cold turkey from that. So they used a lot of two back sets, but he wanted to use two tailbacks instead of a traditional fullback like Shanahan. So I know he's got it in his past to be able to do that and texas has the talent to do let's talk about jake smith and jordan whittington real quick and that wide receiver position it's kind of like our conversation rod to me with the secondary i don't know if there's a if there's a great player right now in that wide receiver room but i think there's a lot of good players but i I do think this different from corner i think there are two guys who have a chance to be great players i don't want to throw troy o'meary into that conversation yet because all we had was like a week of practice last week where we, I mean, we did hear he was tearing it up and was ridiculous yeah. and everybody's called him a freak and uh, maybe you would have seen a special year from Troy O'Meary last like year. like the best the news you could hear in a week. Right, exactly. Uh, but the two guys that I think have a chance to be great players at that position, Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington. And I think Jordan Whittington, it's as simple as can he stay healthy? We've mm-hmm. seen when he is healthy, he is productive. And Rod, to your point, what you just said, I think Jake Smith benefits from the coaching change maybe more than any single player on offense in this program. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I, I like that assessment because we know Sark is into uh, position flexibility. I like to call it you know, positionless football. I, I, he doesn't base his whole um, offensive ideology in positionless football, but he utilizes his players in that aspect. So that is a part of his philosophy. Especially wide um, receivers. He moves his guys around in that aspect. So Jake Smith and Jordan Winston both are perfect yeah. for that positionless football mentality. And, and let's not forget, too, guys. I mean, we saw last year Joshua Moore was probably at his, at his best playing from the slot. Yep. So yep. you've got three guys that can all play in a slot. I think there's no question that – we know those guys can take turns playing outside. It's just a, a matter of start getting those guys in the right place. And, and that, to me, Rod, outside of you know the offensive line and quarterback, which we'll talk about here in a minute, offensively, you know, we mentioned tight end and wide receiver. It, it's not, it's not something we're going to see in the spring. Maybe we'll, we'll get probably glimpses of it. Maybe if we get eyeballs on a practice or hear about a practice or Sark talks about it or you know, the spring game, but we're not going to know about it until the regular season. Can he just be less rigid oh, for sure. about his receiver roles than Tom Herman was? And damn if this guy's an X receiver or a Z receiver. But this week against this opponent, I need to have these guys out there and on, on X number of snaps if we're going to go be as productive as we can. Well, and that's where you just look at two years ago at Alabama when it was Ruggs, Judy, and Devonta Smith, all that wide receiver, and those guys were as malleable and as much motion. And you look at the skill sets, I mean, you have a burner in Ruggs, you have a technician in Judy, and you had a guy in Devonta Smith that sort of has all-around skills so you could see how he could find those pieces. And you also, though, could understand if he would have been rigid, but he 
wasn't, and he still would use a lot of not nearly as much as some other schools with the pre-snap motion, but ways to find get his guys into the engineered mismatch, depending upon who they are facing. They go back to that LSU game from that year, and there was just a ton of great stuff. They've been replaying it from time to time. If you watch on ESPN Classic, still, but just go across the board and look at those box scores and look at the film from that 2019 season, and you can find how those three guys were never compartmentalized yeah no he um when he was at bama and you're right matt going back to when they had all four of those first round wide receivers mm-hmm. uh, Devonte smith rugs judy um when they had all of those guys Nick together Waddle. they had the package what they called red where they had, they go four wide receivers they go four verts uh, all the time ten, 10 personnel one back zero tight ends and they just put all four of those wide receivers on the field together. Uh, you know, Waddle, mm-hmm. Judy, Devontae Smith, and Ruggs. Oh, Yo, your four, your four first-round wide receivers? Yeah. Coordinator. Uh, so, they, so it just shows you that Sark is willing to uh, be malleable in his approach. If he's got a ton of talent, you got four first-round wide receivers, well, hell, i got to get them on the field at the same damn time. All right? I know we like to run 11 personnel. I know we like to run 12 personnel, but we're going to put these four first-round wide receivers on the field at the same time while we recruit other wide receivers mm-hmm. who also want to come to Bama because we're putting guys in the league at that position, but also we're going to play you at that damn position. Right? So I like that mentality. Like I said, at the Atlanta Falcons, there are – Examples of him using two back sets because that that was one of their most talented positions at the time. So I I love the fact that he is not rigid. He has shown an ability in the past to do his best to adapt the approach to the personnel. And I think he's going to do that here at Texas. I'm really excited to see, like you said, Jeff, what he does with Jake Smith. Jordan Whittington specifically. Josh Moore, he'll do better inside and in the slot, moving him around different motions and pre-snap motions. But because Sark loves cheat codes, right? He he inundates his entire offense with cheat codes at every level of it. He calls it layering, but it's just Mm -hmm. different cheat codes at every level. So I want to see what he's going to do with Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith. That's how you, Matt, when you're talking about engineering those matchups, mm-hmm. those two guys are tailor-made for it. Yeah, and they dispelled the myth of there only being one football. He can get it to all those dudes. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Well, we said we were going to talk quarterback at the end, but we're out of time this week. So next week we'll oh, talk about QB. the quarterback position. Yeah, we'll dive into it next week. We've got plenty of time between now and September 4th to talk quarterback. If you need quarterback, though, it's a hell of a I've, got, I've got a piece up at Horns 24-7 right now on, on just a quarterback primer for spring practice if you want to go to the site and check that out. Uh, but that is going to do it. We will pick up the spring football talk next week. And, guys, we'll actually have on-field stuff to talk about. Uh, when we oh, reconvene for next week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B. on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to like this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Click the subscribe button to get every episode of Longhorn Blitz, the flagship and state of recruiting. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode.
You need a hand. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.